the biggest problem I see with all copy, sales copy included, is people talk well about their products, but as soon as they put pen to paper, they go into this weird, rigid robot writing, you know, and start talking about elevating and leveling up and, you know, innovative and unique words that they would never use in real life. Welcome to Socialette. I'm your host, Steph Taylor. As a launch strategist and digital marketer, I've learned a lot of lessons the hard way while building a seven-figure online business. If you're an overwhelmed business owner struggling to scale while also keeping your clients happy, this podcast is for you. Join me as I share actionable advice for creating an online business that feels good and brings you so much joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt that is designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co slash dbb or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Socialette. This is episode 529. Today, I'm bringing back Kate Toon for a second ever chat on Socialette. She first came back, first came on the podcast back in November 2018 to talk about SEO. And today we're talking about something that's related, but not too similar, right? We're talking about how to write a successful sales page for your online course, because this is something that pretty much everybody I deal with struggles with, including myself. I am not going to lie. Writing sales pages does not come naturally to me. I previously wrote a lot of my own sales pages and now I'm in the position where I can outsource them to a copywriter. But it's something that you can get better at it the more that you do it. And I'm really excited because in today's chat, Kate is sharing a structure for writing these sales pages. She's showing us that it's not just magic and fluffy words and creative writing. There's an actual structure and a strategy behind a sales page that converts really well. If you haven't ever come across Kate Toon before, she is an award-winning digital marketing entrepreneur. She's an online business success story, a Google beast tamer, which means she's amazing at SEO. (laughs) She's a straight-talking copywriting coach, and she's also an educator, speaker, author, and podcaster. I am so excited to welcome her back to the show, and I know you are going to absolutely love this. Get a piece of paper and pen ready because you're going to learn a lot from today's episode. Welcome back, Kate Toon. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here. Hello. Hi. I can't believe it. So it's been nearly four years. It's been about three and a half years since you were last on this show. And let me just say, you're probably one of two or three guests who've been invited back. So that's oh my goodness. a big deal. I feel uh, pretty special. But also the show has evolved a lot in that time. I think the last time we recorded, I had a blue Yeti microphone with a pink sock over it. Yes. And you made so much fun of me for it. So, yes. <laughs> I don't now know we have invited you back. <laughs> I know. I'm so rude. Now we have matching microphones. No one can see this, obviously, but we actually have matching microphones because we're so sophisticated and evolved. I know we've grown up a lot. So <laughs> I'm not going to, I'm not going to waste time asking you to share your story all over again. If somebody wants to hear Kate's story about how she got into copywriting, SEO, go back to episode 94 back in November 2018 and you could hear all about that over there. But Kate, I'd love to know, like, just to kick it off, what has changed in your business since we last spoke in 2018? What's new? What are you no longer doing? What are you loving now? Wow. Gosh, we were, you know, we were talking before the pod about how long we've been doing this and it feels like a long time, right? dinosaurs we are i'm a diplodocus i think um um, look the last three years i think well i've completely moved away from having any clients so no one-on-one clients which is you know both a blessing and a curse uh since then i've launched a, a second membership um my digital marketing membership i have uh killed a podcast um and launched another one um, I have suffered through COVID and survived. I have hired two permanent, proper, real employees, and I have had a huge mindset shift about my business and and how I approach it. So, not much, just a few things. Just a few things. I'd love to know if you're happy to share. What's the mindset shift, and how has that impacted everything? Well, I think. Look, I think 
when I started my business, I had no idea what I was doing, like most people. And, you know, I was a copywriter for about seven years. And then I started all these passive income. I'm doing air fingers things. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I never really had a plan or a strategy. I've never had a business coach or been in a mastermind. I have just fumbled along working it out as I go. And I was very financially driven uh, because I really wanted to be able to, you know, clear my debts, pay my mortgage off and secure my financial future. I'm the breadwinner. So I was very driven by the money. Um, and then I got the money. Um, probably 2018, that year was my big money year where I, I had like a 110% increase in revenue in one year. I took a hit the year before, but it came in that year. And it's funny, you know, I got the money and I was like, this is, this is going to be it. I'm going to feel amazing. And of course, as you probably know, Steph, it doesn't feel like that. It's just like, okay, cool. Now I need to make more money because I've hired someone. Yeah. <laughs> so I think my mindset shift has been really to try and create I'm not going to say work-life balance because I'm not 100% sure I agree with that, but to stop beating myself up and pushing myself so hard. You know, I worked so hard. I made myself ill. I put weight on, you know, and it just wasn't, it's ultimately not worth it, you know, and now I can say that now because obviously I'm in a slightly more comfortable position, but yeah, I guess it's more about just trying to enjoy my day-to-day -day rather than just beating myself with a stick, a bit, bit more carrot and a bit less stick. I love that. And it's, that's similar to me, actually, where I hit the goals that I wanted to achieve in three years in one year. And then it became, okay, cool. What's the next goal? And I actually ended up feeling really burnt out and not loving my business as a result of that. So now it's been, okay, how can I make this feel fun, flowy, just easy? Like it doesn't have to be this big challenging thing where I'm always chasing new goals. So I really, I love that. And I actually have another question that I hadn't planned on asking you, but it popped into my mind because I think some of my listeners will be probably wondering this as well. How do you have, you have so many different topics that you are an expert in that you teach on. You have two memberships on different topics. How do you juggle communicating to different audiences and how do you juggle not being known for all of the different things but being known as an expert in each of these things individually? It's it's a challenge. You know, I think I evolved out of being a copywriter to being known for SEO. And then I got rather annoyed that people were always saying, oh, you're the SEO person. I'm like, no, no, no I'm, I'm a copywriter. Right. And then now I'm really moving towards my, you know, being more like a digital marketing person because I do everything. I've got podcasts, I've got books, I've got conferences. So my roots are in SEO and copy, but now I want to be seen as this. And it's, it's hard. And I think the way that I've managed to achieve it, not perfectly, is by really the, you know, the whole people talk about personal brand and it's become a bit of a cheesy term, but people are invested in the Kate Toon brand. And just as you as a human are allowed to evolve, you know, we're like Madonna. We have our pointy bra phase and then we have our disco phase and our hip hop phase. But we love Madonna and we love whatever Madonna does. Or maybe now, now she's a bit more cray on Instagram, but you know, we're invested in the human and then we, therefore we allow the human to evolve and, and have, and we know that humans have different personalities and different aspects and they have good days and bad days rather than being invested in a product or a business name or a brand. So I think that helps. I would say if you, if I put my name up in a group and said, what do you know me for? Most people would still say SEO. And I can't complain about that. SEO has been hugely profitable for me, but it's the way I say it, Steph, and I'm sorry, I'm rambling a little bit. You know, like I always say, like, you remember Britney Spears? And when she goes on stage, I'm sure someone in the audience shouts, sing, hit me, baby, one more time. <laughs> and I'm sure she internally rolls her eyes and goes, that was 20 years ago. Can I sing my new stuff? But some people will never let her be anything other than the pigtail girl from that video, you know? So it's hard. I don't think I do a perfect job of it. Yeah, it's challenging. It's something I've also struggled with. That's hence the question. I'm curious to see how somebody else approaches that. But anyway, that's not why we're here today. We're here to talk about sales copy, which is something a lot of people hate. And <laughs> I know, I know you specialize in writing or one of the things you specialize in is writing sales page copy for online courses or teaching people how to do that. But I think the big elephant in the room is that people hate it. And I'd love to hear, like, why do you think it is that we hate it? We resist it so much. I think it's because we don't want to come across as a salesperson. Just the phrase salesperson makes us feel a bit itchy. It makes us think of those door-to-door -door vacuum cleaner salesmen, you know, that are a bit sleazy, a bit slimy. 
And nobody wants to be seen as that. But the thing is, at the end of the day, if someone has a problem and you have the solution, then you're really just explaining your offering. You're not strong arming them. You're not lying. You're not pretending to be something you're not. You're just saying, you know, you want to buy an apple? Well, here's my apple and here's all the features of it and here's the benefits of it. But I appreciate that you might prefer their apple. That's okay. I can only do as much as I can do. And the big thing we have to remember is though, although we hate selling, people love buying stuff. People want to buy stuff. And if they're not buying your stuff, they're going to buy someone else's. And when they get to your sales page, really, it's not about making someone who doesn't want to buy, buy. It's about helping someone who feels pretty good about the purchase decision, feel really good about it, overcoming any objections, any problems, being really honest so that they're 100% clear that they're going to get what they pay for. So I feel it's, think of it less as selling and more as explaining, and then you might feel a bit more comfy. Mm, Almost like if you are walking through a desert and you're really thirsty and really hungry and two kilometers that way, I'm pointing east, west, (laughs) I don't know, I'm pointing to my right, two kilometers to my right is a lemonade store giving me or selling lemonade. But I don't know that unless somebody puts up a sign saying, hey, there's a lemonade store over there. Otherwise, I'm just going to keep walking, feeling hungry and thirsty. Yeah. And as long as you're not charging $8 million for a glass of lemonade, then there's nothing bad about it, right? You, I mean, at that stage, I might be so hungry. I'm willing to pay $8 million. <laughs> yeah, you might be. But again, you know, I think it's that fear that you're going to take advantage of people, overcharge them, not give them value. That's what we're all scared of, right? That we're going to buy something and it's going to be a disappointment. We've all bought that stuff late night on Instagram, some dress that looks brilliant in the picture and it arrives and we're like, what the actual hell is this? We don't want to be that person. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we just don't want to be disingenuous, you know, and I think if you have doubts about selling, it probably means you're quite a good person because generally people who don't give a poo don't care, you know, they just get on with it. So if you're worrying about it, I think that shows that you actually care about your customers and that's a great thing. And from your experience as a consumer, have you, as a consumer, but with that expert copywriter lens, where are some of the way, where are some of the places that you've seen sales copy really just suck? Like it's yeah. good. Like what are those things where people are going wrong? I think it's the, it's the oversell, you know, the making big promises. I think it's the false scarcity. So pretending that this offer is going to end in 24 hours. And then it doesn't, or saying you have limited spots and there are limited spots. That's, you know, that feels like you're being betrayed. And then I think the biggest problem I see with, you know, people in our space, you know, online entrepreneurs, people who are trying to, you know, sell courses and memberships is they just overwrite, you know, less is more. You don't need to explain that benefit to me 15 times. I got it. I got it the first time you said it. And the more that you keep talking and talking, you're actually unselling your product. You know, like when you are, you you know, sometimes you get on a, a job interview or something and they ask you a question and you just talk and talk and talk and talk and you just start to actually undo any goodness. So it's about knowing when to stop and about knowing what, what are the key elements you need to have on your page or email or whatever, and then stopping and letting someone make up their mind, not just keep bombarding them with content. But then this is the challenge, right? Because how long do we actually make that sales page? We've seen what I call the US sales pages where they're like 10,000 words long. And then we see the Australian sales pages that are about a quarter of that. How, like, what is that perfect length, especially if you're somebody who is selling to completely different audiences around the world? I think, you know, that's a question I get asked a lot. How long should a sales page be? And of course, you know, the answer is as long as it needs to be. If you're selling a $10 template, you don't need 10,000 words. If you're selling a $2,000 course, you might need 10,000 words. I know I had someone come on my chatbot and say, you know, your page doesn't have to be this long. It's really annoying that I'm scrolling and scrolling. And A, I pointed out there's a navigation at the top, so you don't need to scroll if you don't want to. But B, I pointed out that every time I add the right copy, succinct, relevant, the more, the faster I sell out. So it's about writing enough copy to explain your product, explain the features and the benefits, um, explain who it's for, who it's not for. We'll talk about a few of these things. Provide a little bit of proof and overcome what you know are going to be people's doubts. 
you already know when you put something out to market what people are going to be scared of, what their fears are. You know, you already know that. So address them on the page. You know, I mean, I'm scared that this is going to be another course I buy that I'm not going to finish. Okay, I hear you. Here's how I solve that problem. You know, I'm worried that this is too big an investment. Okay, I get you. Here's how we solve that problem. So rather than hiding, address those problems head on. Mm, and we'll jump, we'll dive into objections a little bit in a minute, but I'm curious when you sit down to write the sales page, where do you start? Cause I've heard so many different people. Some people start with the headline. Other people start from the bottom. Where do you start? <laughs> well, actually I have an actual sales page template in my show, oh. which you can use, which is a paint by numbers. I would never ever start with the headline. I start with the easy bits, you know, because as a copywriter, we know that the blank page is really overwhelming. So start with all the bits that you find easy, like FAQs, super easy. You know, when does this course open? How do I access it? How long do I get this, that, and the other? Great. You've started your writing muscle, you know, and then I would maybe do another section. So I treat it in chunks. Then I might write, who is it for? Who is it not for? Then I might write the about me blob. Then I might write this. And the very last thing I will write is the headline and the opener to the page and the video script for the page or whatever, because by that point, I'm fully conversant with everything I want to say. And, you know, if you start there, you'll just end up rewriting it about 15 times as well. So I start. (laughs) And, And something I hear quite a lot from people who are writing their sales pages for courses, memberships, other digital products is they say, well, I can't write. I'm not good at writing sales copy. I can't get past the headline. And like the headline is so tricky. I, I, I'm pretty sure the only reason I've hired a copywriter to write my copy for my last couple of launches is because I do not, I can never come up with a headline. Yeah. I mean, headlines are hard. And I think the easiest thing to use there is either a pain point or a promise. Yeah. So instead of saying, this is the thing that I am selling, which is what most people do, you know, the, the ultimate course for this, this, and this. No, no, no. Ask a question that you think the majority of your audience are going to say yes to, you know? So I've got someone at the moment who's um, putting together a, a lead magnet or for a, um, like a productivity course that she wants to do. She's a project manager and she, you know, she's starting with that. And it's like, you know, ask a question that everyone's going to go yes to. Like, are you sick of wasting time on admin? No one's going to say no to that. And you've got them in. As soon as someone nods and mentally says yes, then you can clarify in the subheader. You know, here, this course is going to teach you X, Y, Z and save you 20 hours a week. You know, so worried you're spending too much time on Instagram? Imagine saving 20 hours a week on your social media, you know. And then underneath that, you can have the subheadline, the ultimate Instagram course that will double your speed and teach you the tips and tricks to become an Instagram pro. So there we give a bit of a promise. So we ask a question and then we make a promise. Did you just make that up on the spot? Kind of. (laughs) Why they pay you the big bucks. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So after, so I guess after that headline subheading, what other key elements do we have on that page? I know you talked about them before briefly, but what kind of structure do you give to that? Oh yeah. I mean, there's an exact structure and I treat it in four different parts. So part one, I call solving the problem. Part two, I call an explanation of the product. Part three, proof the product works. And part four, action to purchase the product. So four key chunks. Um, and that, that, you know, I can break them down a little bit more, but thinking of the page in those four sections, again, it's all about breaking it down into bite-sized chunks. It makes it easy for you to write because if you just start at the top and try and write 10,000 words, man alive, no one can do that. So yeah, I start with the first bit, which is, solving the problem. And in there, I talk about the headline we just talked about. I have this mini navigation. So we're talking sales pages, right? Mm. Mini navigation, because remember, most people have their sales pages open for a while and someone could be visiting that page two or three times if it's a big purchase decision. And so once they've come the first time, they might just want to jump down to the FAQs. They might just want to jump down to the pricing. So I have that little mini nav. Then I would have my opener which is kind of an explanation of the course and how it's going to change their lives, that friendly, chatty introduction. I have a video, so a one to two minute explanation, which is really me just reading out that chatty paragraph I just wrote. Usually I have some kind of scarcity in that top element and that's it. That's the top done. That's kind of saying, hey, here's your problem. I can solve it. Easy. Yeah, relatively. (laughs) And then, so then the next one's then the explanation yeah. Then is, I'm assuming that's where you go a little bit deeper into the product or are you explaining the problem? 
No, you are explaining the product because we've done the problem and this is it. Like some people will do the problem again and again and again. It's like, no, 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 I got it. I got it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got to section two if I didn't understand the problem. Yeah. So we don't do that again. And you're exactly right. Maybe I'll pull out here four features, four easy features of the course, maybe, or the product or the whatever. Do those as little icons. I'll have a how it works. I'm going to flesh out the offering. You know, this is a six month mastermind. This is a simple three page PDF. You know, what is it? Practical terms. Yeah. That's an important part as well. So many sales pages, you read them and you think, this sounds great, but I actually don't know what I'm getting. Is it, am I showing up to Zoom calls? Are these modules? Is this an ebook? Like, how does this work? Yeah, totally. Specificity. It's a 12 page PDF. You might be thinking, oh, no one wants a 12 page PDF, but if I want it, I want it. Just be clear with me and tell me what I get. So then I might, you know, take some detailed pain points and flesh them out and have a couple of paragraphs on those. Um, I'll li- li- list out what's included in very bold points. You know, you get 10 Zoom calls that are one hour long. You get six modules. You get 22 worksheets. Again, not you get lots of worksheets. You get 22. So specificity is really, really important. You want to manage people's expectation. And then I'll also hear in the, you know, ex- uh, the, you know, the explanation, talk about who it's for. You know, identify the audience and that can either buy, do you have this problem, this problem, this problem, or are you this person, this person, this person and who it's not for. And usually who it's not for is a slightly tongue in cheek. You know, you're like, this is not for you if you're an SEO snake oil salesman. This is not for you if you want overnight results. It's a slightly tongue in cheek panel. And then also in that section, I include my story. So I'm, exp- I'm explaining the product and service through my experience. So I was you. This is what we want to say with our story. I was you. I had the problem you had. I took these steps and I solved my problem and you can too. So that's what the story is. It's not about saying, oh, I am Steph and I've got nice eyebrows and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about how you can, how the person can live vicariously through your experience. Yeah. So you're not just saying, you know, I have this degree and I worked in this agency for 20 years and I did that and I did that and then I did that. Instead, it's making it really about them. Yeah, it's connecting with them. It's telling a story. We can have those other elements later, but not in this bit, right? This bit is about saying, I was you. I was living in a bin. I did this. Now I'm a millionaire. Whatever it may be. It's that little hero story of, you know, before, middle, after. Um, and that's, I love uh, that example that you just gave <laughs> because I feel like that's a lot of, uh, a lot of the snake oil salesmen actually use that story. It's every post on LinkedIn, right? Pretty much. So yeah. And then we get into the third part, which is proof. And proof is one of my favorite bits. So that's where we talk about awards you've won. The fact that you have a, you know, an A level in home economics or whatever, whatever you want to say, <laughs> as long as it's relevant as featured in, you know, these magazines thought I was cool enough to talk to. Therefore, I must be a bit of a thought leader. It's where you have your written testimonials, your video testimonials, your logos. If you have them, some results, you may not have them the first time you launch, but you will the next time. It's where you add your guarantee. Really important to have a guarantee. Yes. Because you need to give people an out. Let's talk about that for a second. So when you are guaranteeing, because so what we found works really well is if you do the work and you're not happy within, you know, the first two weeks of signing up, we give you a refund in full, but you have to do the work. You have to show up to the calls. I'm curious how, what you found works really well for you, how you word it, that kind of thing. Yeah. So I have a 14 day refund on the course and you don't have to do nothing. You don't have to do the calls. I don't need a completed workbook. I don't need a video of you sitting at your computer pretending to do stuff. If people want out, let them out. If people want out, let them go. You know, generally I've run my recipe calls 23 times, you know, nearly, I think 1,300 people, probably done about four refunds. And that's usually because people are ill. And if I'd then gone, oh, you know, I need to see workbook seven completed or whatever. I mean, I could have done that. And I get that some people want that because it's like, you haven't really given it a go. You know, but some people just buy it and then they just change their mind. And that's all right. You know, what I do though, Steph, is I make sure that the first two weeks are not the money, Mm. the money of the course, right? So you don't get access to every download in that first two weeks. You don't get this. You've maybe, you've maybe had one coaching call. So, you know, I let people go very freely 
but they don't get a whole lot in those first two weeks. Do you see what I mean? So I'm covering my bottom. I'm covering my yeah. Box. See, so people get quite a lot in the first two weeks. They don't. They obviously only get modules one and two. Mm. But what I've actually had is, um, in the past, I've had maybe two people who've signed up and changed their mind. And when we said go through, go do the work, and then we'll refund you, they've actually come back and they said we've done the work. This is really good. We want to stay. Exactly. <laughs> I love that. And so you know, someone in this round of the course did say, look, you know. I signed up and life's got away from me and I want a refund, but it was outside the refund period. And I went, I'm sorry, it's not, it's not going to happen. Um, what can I help you? How can I help you feel that you're not behind? What could I do right now? And in the end, I just did a quick 10 minute site review for them. They came back into the course and had exactly the experience that you had. Um, you know, I remember like I've had personal trainers and I've signed up and then I've gone, I can't do this. And the personal trainer has gone, well, bad luck. I'm not getting your money back. So I've gone, you know, sometimes you need someone to give you a smack on the bottom and say no you're not giving up you paid for this you wanted to do it when you wanted to do it let's keep going you can do this they're actually looking for affirmation and encouragement not their money back so I think the way you're doing it is is good you know and I love that question what can I do to help you not feel behind I think that's a question that as course creators or any anybody who's hosting any kind of digital you know if it's a membership a group program anything we could ask that question more often because it's really easy to fall behind. And then as soon as you feel behind, you feel uh, you feel isolated from the rest of the group. And then that almost de- demotivates you. Totally. And I think sometimes we forget to be human. You know, obviously, when I see a refund request come through, first thing I think is, oh, for God's sake, you know, that's annoying. I only take X amount of people. If you leave, that's one spot I could have sold to someone else, you know, and it's annoying. But then I always try and stop and I try and see the human. And the line I like to remember is no one is a villain in their own story, right? This person isn't doing this to piss you off. They're having a bad day. They're struggling. And we've all felt like that, Mm. you know? And some people, look, let's be honest, some people are just a-holes and just, you know, of course, not the customer's not always right. But a lot of the time, the email they send you is not the email they wrote in their mind. You know, I want to refund. I'm behind. You know, I bought the course. I've made a mistake. It's really saying... I'm struggling with my life at the moment and I'm already behind and I feel I've wasted my money and I feel terrible about it. And what you want to do is try and make them feel not like that. And it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much to keep someone going, you know, to just be a bit kind. Yeah, I love that. We got a little bit sidetracked there on um, guarantee. Any other areas of proof that you haven't talked about the proof section? Well, I, you know, I think logos are great. Results are brilliant. We all love a little chart with a line going up. We love tangible figures. But one thing I think works really well is just screen grabbing Facebook comments because they're so raw, usually with typos in, that they don't look curated and manicures like our testimonials often do. So I love that. And then one thing that I've added to the recipe sales page, which has really helped, is case studies. Um, so, you know, I've done some little short case studies of, you know, this is this person. They've got an e-commerce business. They were here. They did the course. They're here. So what people are looking for is someone who had the same problem as them. And while someone might not identify with me, they may identify with a previous student and their success. So, you know, they might go, well, look, your course looks great, Kate, but I have an e-commerce store. You have no experience of that. And I go, well, I do. But also look at all these people who had success. It's not about my success. It's about their success. So case studies can be really useful as well. Love that. And then the last section you said was now action. Action. Yeah. And most people would think it's just the pricing panels, right? But it's not. There's a few elements there. I think you do need pricing panels and I'm a big believer in the, in the power of three, you know, baby bear, daddy bear, mama bear, mama bear is the biggest bear because we're not going to go with the patriarchy, you know? <laughs> so you have give people different ways to pay. You give them, you know, pay as you go plans, upfront plans and, and structure those. Well, I think it's really good to have card icons there and a currency converter. All that kind of mechanical stuff is, is super important. I think in this section is where you talk about bonuses. So you have your pricing. Then you have your bonuses and then you have FAQ, then you have pricing again. But then a few elements that I like to include, which are maybe a bit unusual, is a a picture of the future panel. So a picture of the future panel is just a little bit of copy that says, imagine how you're going to feel when every those emails you get from people saying, I can help you rank number one, you can delete them straight away. Imagine when you go on Google and type in the keyword of your dreams and you are in the top spot. Imagine how that's going to feel. You know, Yeah, you want the goosebumps, right? You want to paint the future. So that works really well. And then I also really like to have the fine print there. So I don't hide my fine print in the terms and conditions. 
have a little bit of fine print that says, hey, by the way, you there's you get 14 days access. You can cancel in that time, but after that, no refunds. You know, there is no additional support on this course other than what's outlined. Blah, 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 blah. Like pick out your worst terms and conditions and share them openly. Because if someone discovers after the course that it's not actually Steph Taylor on the calls, it's some guy called Bernard. I know you don't do that. But I've joined courses and I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to get to, you know, I joined one course actually. And I got in there and I was like, I'm going to get to talk to this person. It's going to be amazing. And then after I got in, I found out that he only came in the group once a month and did 10 minutes of chat. And that was the whole contact. Other than that, it was his minions. And I get that that's a totally fine way to run a course, but it was not how it was presented. And I, if I'd have known, I could have made a decision based on that. I could have gone, well, that's fine. That's fine. I'm happy with that. But I wasn't. I, I, I wasn't clear on that. So be open about the truth about your course, you know? It's managing expectations, right? I mean, absolutely. I was giving a friend uh, advice on her dating app. Pro- oh, we're talking about dating apps the other day. And it's like, you know, if somebody's advertising that they are six foot when they're actually five foot five, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's plenty of people who would be fine with that, but it's about exactly. expectations. And it's exactly the same with when you're presenting your offer on the sales page, manage those expectations. Yeah. Yeah. Because someone somewhere wants five foot five, you know, someone somewhere doesn't want six foot, but it's terrible to get there and then realize that you've been misled, you know? And I think that's the biggest problem that people try and glam up their offer with vagaries and non-specific things and FOMO and false scarcity. And all you're going to do is get more refund requests because people are going to get to the other side and realize that they haven't bought what they thought they were going to buy. Mm, it's like a sales page win. equivalent, sales page equivalent of catfishing. Yes, you have to be exactly. <laughs> I love that. Don't be a sales page catfish. I love that. <laughs> Okay. So one of the things um, that I know you're really good at is selling transformations. How do you, how do you define what the transformation is that you're selling, first of all? And then how do you do that in words? I think that's where a lot of people struggle is actually articulating what that transformation is and putting it in a way that people understand. So do you have any advice on how to do that? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to get down to the root of what makes your audience tick. I have this little methodology called BDF, which is preconceived beliefs, deepest desires, and darkest fears. So you can play on any of those, right? I suggest you don't play too much on the fear because it's just mm. not a nice way to market. So you know, really all humans have the same desires. We're, we're simple creatures. You know, we want to be happy. We want to have money. We want to be all safe. We don't want to feel stupid. You know, these are all things that are common to all humans. It doesn't matter what you're selling to anybody. So you need to identify what people's deepest desire is. I'm not buying an Instagram course. I'm not buying, I don't want to become an expert at Instagram. I don't, I don't give a crap about that. I want to sell more of my stuff so I feel like a success and so that I can have nice holidays with my kids. Or maybe we go a bit separate and go, you know, my husband or my partner said, your business is never going to succeed and I want to prove him wrong. You know, I've got a competitor who ripped off my product line and I want to beat them. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, what is the actual real desire? People are not buying a course. That's the thing we need to focus on. So we go beyond the feature, beyond the benefit to the advantage. And the whole last classic line is like, people don't buy drills, they buy holes. You know, I don't care about the drill. I care about the hole, but I really don't care about the hole. I care about putting the shelf up myself, feeling empowered and being able to go back and watch Netflix. That's what I really care about. So I'm not even selling the hole. I'm selling the freedom from the hole. If that makes sense. <laughs> it does. In a, yeah, it does in a roundabout way. So it's, <laughs> it's what that, it's what that outcome really means for the rest of their life. Yeah. And it's usually not financial. It's usually about empowerment, confidence, you know, happiness, safety, you know, feeling smart. It's all about those things. It's rarely about money. People will say it's about money. I want to make more money. I want to do Instagram because I want to make more money. No, I want to feel good at something. I want to feel like I'm not doing stupid things. I want to feel like I'm not wasting my time. That's the real transformation that people want. And I think if you're struggling to articulate that, the way I always suggest with any copywriting is talk to someone and record yourself talking to them. Like if I was to explain my SEO course to you, not somebody who's never heard of SEO, but someone who gets it, who gets it. So you're talking to an educated friend is the way I like to think about it. I would accidentally, as we're talking, even if I was totally unprepared, hit a few key points 
that make you go, oh, and also I'm seeing your face. I'm seeing your reaction. I'm seeing what makes your eyes. Like I said something earlier about the transformation and I saw you go, oh, that sounds really good. And, and so I know that that works. So seeing people's expression and reaction and recording yourself, then you go back, get that transcribed and pick out the cherries from your transcription. The biggest problem I see with all copy, sales copy included, is people talk well about their products, but as soon as they put pen to paper, they go into this weird, rigid robot writing, you know, and start talking about elevating and leveling up and, you know, innovative and unique words that they would never use in real life. So, yeah. <laughs> and I think some of those words are just so overused. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Oh, something that popped into my mind just then as you were talking then is I suppose a lot of that also comes down to knowing exactly who you're writing for. Like, for example, with your recipe for SEO success, did I get the name right? Yes. It's a mouthful, but you got it. (laughs) I love it. It's a great name. Uh, But with that, I mean, if you were talking to somebody like me who understands that SEO is important, that it's going to drive free traffic to my website and that traffic might lead to sales, then the language you would use to explain that is really different to if you were explaining it to somebody who has never heard of SEO, doesn't know how it's going to impact their business. And they're just like, oh, I just want more Instagram followers because that's how I'm going to make more sales. But then you're communicating the sales transformation rather than so much the SEO transformation. Yeah, I mean, it comes back to what you said right at the beginning, that people struggle with sales pages because they're trying to communicate with so many different people. Mm. Um, But the sales page should be the last step before someone gets out their credit card, right? That page is not for everybody. That page is for people who already understand, you know, they're not at like, uh, they're not at problem stage. I, I, my website's not selling anything, right? They can't be at that stage because they're in informational mode. They're not ready for a course. They don't even know what SEO is. They might be at solution stage where they're like, oh, I realize that Google and the SEO is the answer, but even those people probably aren't your people. They're not, maybe they're at comparison stage where they are thinking about an SEO course and they're comparing yours with someone else. Ideally, they're at brand stage where they love you. They trust you. They've been following you for ages. They've read your content. You know, your content marketing is where you explain what SEO is, how it works, not your sales page. If someone comes to your page and they don't know what SEO is, they are not your ideal customer. They will never buy, right? So that's what you use your funnel for. As you know, all this, this is definitely the 101. That's what you use your funnel for, your lead magnet for, your micro course for, your group for. That explains to people what it is and why it's important so that when they get to the sales page, it's not about, do I need to do this? It's about, do I pick your thing over someone else's? And this. You've nailed it, Kate. Like that's exactly why Launch Magic exists. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a process, right? You know, yeah. But it, it and it takes time. And I think this is where a lot of people freak out because they put up the sales page and then nobody buys that first time that they sell, and they're like, "Oh, my sales copy sucks," or "Nobody wants my product." But they haven't put in any of that other work, that content before, because that's the hard part. Well, this is exactly why what you teach is so important. I did a reel on this the other day and I'm like, you know, oh, I'm going to write a course and make loads of money. No, 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 no. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you can't get people to give you that email address, you'll never get them to give you $2,000 for a course. If you can't get someone to buy like a $27 thing or turn up to a webinar or a free, they're never going to buy your thing. People start at the wrong end. They, they spend six months building some expensive seven-week course and then try to start marketing it. Whereas I would start the marketing and then sell the course and then build it, you know? That's, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly how I do it. I know it feels terrifying to somebody who's never done that. Yeah. But like that is hands down, that saved me from creating products I thought people wanted and didn't buy, you know, like yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that saved me so much time and energy and emotional, emotional trauma. Yeah. And I mean, you all know this as well. It's not about the launch week. It's the whole year. It's your whole life. People come onto my course and they're like, Oh, you know, I had one lady I call Sue. I always drag out poor Sue. And um, she joined my membership, but she has been on my radar or in my world for seven years, seven years before she finally took the plunge. And I don't know what one piece of content it was that flipped her over the edge. People, when I ask people, how did you find me? They're like, well, I've never heard of you. And then all of a sudden you were everywhere. And that's algorithms. Thank you very much. But it's a slow burn. It's not going to happen overnight. And I think the big problem is not your sales copy often. It's that you are not willing to turn up again and again and again with failure and success and do the same thing again and again and again until it works. 
you know, I think that's the big problem, really. How many, how many years have you been doing this whole online business thing for, Kate? <laughs> a long time, but the course, the course I launched in 2016, um, it's the 23rd launch. You know, I started with 20 people. It's gone up and down. The last couple of years have been lower. You know, I've had rounds of 80 people that sold out in eight hours. You know, I've had other rounds where I've scraped together 40 people. You know, it's up and down. But overall, that sales page for recipe has made about $2.3 million, that one page. And I don't do any sales calls. People do not get to talk to me before they sign up to the course, you know. So it works. There is a strategy. It's not magic. It's pretty logical. And once you see the structure and you understand the process, you'll see it everywhere. You'll be like, ah, look, look, there's the paint in the future. Oh, look, they've done the effort. Oh, there's the what's included. I see it. I see through the matrix. And I see see that everyone's doing the same thing. We've been selling things since the 1650s, you know. Uh, Advertising first started in print magazines then, and it's the same strategies today. So, you know, even though we're all digital and la, 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 it's still the same tactics. They still work. The simple creatures. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. And this, this kind of segues nicely into objections because you can have the most engaged person. They've been following you for years, but if they come to your sales page and they have objections in their mind, they're probably not going to buy. Where, what are some of the biggest areas you see people going wrong with addressing objections on the sales page? Well, I think most people just don't address them. I think that's the problem. They're all positive, 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 toxic positivity. You know, they, they don't acknowledge the fact that there are negatives. So, you know, I, as I mentioned earlier, like if someone's, you know, what would be an objection for someone doing your launch course? Oh, I guess so many. Um, my <laughs> audience isn't big enough. I haven't created my product yet. <laughs> yeah. So audience isn't big enough. Me and you know that that is not a factor. You know, when I launched my course, I, I sent it out to 40 people and 20 signed up. I only had 40 email addresses because they were previous clients, right? So we know that we all like big lists, um, but they don't necessarily translate. You know, I know people have huge lists and they don't sell anything. The size of the list is not important. It's the quality. So you say, you know, I would literally have on the page quote marks. I'm worried my list isn't big enough, quote marks. I get you, you know, but people on my course have done it with smaller lists and blah, 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 blah. You know, the next one might be, I don't have time, you know, or, and you just literally have the headline and then answer it and be honest. You know, if you don't have time, well, look, this is going to take three to four hours a week. And if this is not the right time for you to do that, don't sign up. Wait, the course will be here in six months time. People often come to me and say that, like, how many hours a week will I need on the course? And they're like, four-ish. And I'm like, well, I'm really busy at the moment. I'm like, well, don't, don't sign up now then. It's going to be here in six months time. You can do it then. It might be slightly more expensive, but you know, still, if it's not the right time, it's not the right time. So it's usually time, money, and people aren't, they're worried that they're going to fail again. Mm. You know, that it's going to be another thing that they bought that doesn't work. That's an objection that I've noticed popping up more and more. Like I, if I look at the objections I've had in the last two years of launching the same course, it's become more and more frequent is the, I have too many courses already. I'm going to, I'm worried this is going to be another one that yeah, gathers totally. dust. And it's about that feeling that many of us have, which is I, I am not enough or I'm not the sort of person who can have this success. I don't deserve it. You know, it's actually quite a deep mindset thing. Like, I'm not Steph Taylor. I mean, look at Steph Taylor. She's been doing it for years. No wonder she's successful, but I'm not that sort of person. So therefore, you need to give them lots of examples of other people who felt like they weren't that sort of person. Like me and you, we know, we've known each other for a while. We know we're not special. (laughs) We know we're not. I'm special. Yeah, of course. So you know what I mean? There's no magic juju. A lot of it is just, you know, what we've talked about today. We're not, we're not massively more gifted than your average person we just put the time in you know we've we put the time and put the effort in we've tried lots of different things we've worked out what works and now we're sharing it and you are perfectly capable of achieving it too so I think it's a lot about self-doubt I think a lot especially women which is our target audience a lot of the time will think of 10 reasons why they can't whereas a man will think of one reason why he can and that's a sweeping sexual generalization but it seems to be quite true yeah uh, so when you are launching something for the first time, or I mean, subsequent launches, it's easy because you can find, you, you can look at what people asked you in those, those first launches. But if it's the first time you're launching something, how do you, do you have any ways that you try and preempt those objections? 
I think as soon as I think about something I want, so, you know, I, let's be honest, I have a sales page course. It's my newest thing. I launched it six months ago. As soon as I thought I was going to start doing that, I started talking about it. I'm writing the materials. You know, what would you include? Like took people on the journey. Why would you not buy this course? What would you not want to? And I just asked my community, put content out there. What would you include? What's your biggest challenge? So that by the time that the course came out, people were pretty clear that I'd taken all their suggestions and included them in the course material. So content marketing, warming up my funnel, you know, and then I do very iterative launches. You know, I launched the sales page course just to my members to begin with, because they already know, like, and trust me. It's going to be about price. I, you know, I had about 40 people sign up to the first one and then I've got testimonials, I've got videos and now I can use those. But also they pointed out the flaws. I, I changed things. I fixed things. I added new things. You know, people wanted a wireframe of the sales page. They wanted a paint by numbers copy deck. Okay, I'll add that. I'll add that. I'll add that. Things I thought were obvious. People were like, well, what about, you know, does this guarantee work? I add that to the FAQ. So the course just gets better and I'm iterative. I don't go out there going, it's free to everyone. I've done three launches and now I'd be happy to launch it properly because now I know it's really as close to perfect as it can be. But I also, it's like, you know, I put it out imperfect. That's really, really important. Imperfect action. We all know about that, but some people are frightened to do that. So, you know, but if you're waiting for it to be perfect, like you'd still be sitting on it. Exactly. And as it gets better, the price goes up. And as it gets better, the support comes down. You know, whatever you want to do to make it more viable for you. But iterative launching and talking about it from the get-go. As long as you don't talk it out of your system and never actually do it, I think that really helps. Oh, and I'd love to I'd love to wrap up by chatting pricing a little <laughs> bit. Because pricing is tricky. And I know somebody might look at you and me and they might say, Oh, Kate, Steph, it's easy for you to charge thousands of dollars for your courses because you're helping people to make money. What's, how, how do you suggest to somebody who's not in that industry where they're helping others to make money? How do you suggest they go about pricing? Look, I think people always have a budget in mind, whether you, they're willing to admit that or not. And I think again, a lot of that can be tested out with like launch strategies, you know, like, Will people buy a $27 thing, a $47 thing? Where is the, the limit? And there's a limit. I launched my course when I first launched it for $400. You know, now it's at 2200 or something. So it's gone up over time as it's got better. So I think, you know, if you're not helping people make money, you're still helping them do something. It's about that desire thing. You know, as we just said at the top of the episode, money, we all want money. And I'm not suggesting being poor is fun. I've been and it's not fun at all. But what do I care more about? I care more about the relationship with my son. I care more about my health. I care more about my parents, my dog. You know, so you might be a dog trainer. To someone else, that's more important than money. You know, it's, it, so you just need to tap into what makes people tick and what they really want, what their desire is and what they're scared of. And then you can put any price on it. And again, be iterative with your pricing. Start low, sell a few, see how it goes. But you can always put the price up can't put the price back down again because you'll piss off your existing customers. There's nothing worse. Don't you do know? that. So you can always put your price up. And as long as you feel, as long as, you know, people talk a lot about ethical pricing now and not ending with a, a seven, ending with a zero. And well, I don't think any of that matters, honestly. Um, I think it's about if you feel really good about your pricing, that you're offering value, you're, if you care a lot, you're probably underselling anyway. You know, I'm sure that when people finish your course, they say things like, wow, it was so much better than I thought it would be. The value is outstanding. People always say that to me, you should charge double. And I could, but I won't because I'd rather get that feedback than, well, it was very expensive, but I did get something out of it. You know, so I think people worry about pricing too much. There's no right price. You can't look at other people and go, well, Steph Taylor's charging this. I'll charge half because I'm, it's no, there's no logic to that. There is no logic to pricing. We know this, right? Uh, why do we buy an iPhone from Apple that costs X amount when we know it's all made in the same factory in China and it's the same phone as that one? They've just got different logos on them. So we know on a logical level that pricing is playing into our psychology and has a lot to do with how we feel about things and, and emotions. It's quite emotional, really, isn't it, money? Um, but I think that's also quite freeing because it means there's no right answer. So just give it a pop. Mm -hmm. Try and sell it. If it doesn't sell, no one knows. You know, you talk about launching... And I saw something on Twitter ages ago and someone was like, congratulations on your launch. And the MD said, it's actually our 14th launch, but we won't mention the 13 that flopped, which I thought was so, so honest. 
you know? But, yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's a beautiful note to end our yeah. conversation on today. Kate, where can my listeners go and find your Paint by Numbers sales page and where can they connect with you? So my main website is katetune.com, but my course and my templates are all on the Clever Copywriting School. I'll give Steph a link and she can send it to them. We've got a, a cheap and cheerful template and then the full course if you want to take that. But yeah, I think it, the, uh, you know, be confident with it. You're not going to get it right. I think I've rewritten my sales page maybe 10 times. So it's about getting something up and then being open to criticism and willing to change. Oh, if only it were that easy to be open to criticism. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Kate. This has been very insightful. I've got a whole post-it note full of notes that I've scribbled oh. down. Uh, and I'm sure my listeners are going to absolutely love this. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Seth. Now, at the end of every guest interview on this show, I love to think about what are some actionable things we can take away and start to implement. So when you are thinking about writing a sales page, or maybe you're still in the early stages of creating your product, but maybe you can start to break down those four categories that, or those four sections that Kate explained in the sales page, the solving the problem, the explaining the product, the proof, and then the action. Maybe start to break down those categories and start to think about what you might want to include in each of those categories. I really love the structured approach because I think it takes a lot of the guesswork and a lot of the fear out of writing a sales page. So go ahead, start doing that. If you have any friends who you know are struggling to write their sales pages, or maybe they've been sitting thinking about what headline to include for way too long, please do tell them about this episode. It's how Kate and I get to help more people. And all you have to do is hit the share button and send it their way. It takes about two seconds and it could really make a difference to them. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time.